Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. Oh yeah, folks, you know what that sound means. It is Thursday at 4 o'clock, and you are tuned in for everything under the sun. The Sopra Sun's weekly radio show right here on KDNK, the best radio station this side of the Mississippi. Absolutely. Ow! We got a special guest for you today, and you just got a taste of his voice. We got Mr. Jacob Trumbull in the house. How are you, Jacob? I'm wonderful. It is a pleasure to be here. I listen to KDNK every single day. Oh, man. It's an honor to be here. Oh, man. Well, we're honored to have you, and uh, as the only... Uh, Stone Miller, Flower Stone Miller in the Valley. We're going to talk about your new company today, um, your budding company, um, Roaring Fork Mill, based right at the base, kind of, or heading up the hill to Missouri Heights. It sure is. Yeah, about three, four minutes up from the Catherine store up County Road 100. Very cool, very cool. Um, So, yes, again, for our listeners, you're tuned into Everything Under the Sun, and I'm your host, James Steinler. Stay tuned. Coming up next will be El Sol Habla, the Spanish version of the Sopris Sun and everything under the sun. But anyhow, uh, pick yourself up a copy of this week's paper. You'll see uh, Jacob's uh, mug right on the cover as you pick it up from farm to mill. uh, And then you turn to page four and you'll find the full story about... um, Roaring Fork Mill. I will. I will say it was startling walking into Ace Hardware this morning, turning the corner and seeing my face looking back. At me. So it was a little unsettling. <laughs> you admit to that, and I think that's so wonderful. Um, yeah, I could see that. And there's three thousand copies now floating around <laughs> the valley with your face on it, <laughs> which is great, man. It's a great photo, and a shout out to uh, Will Sardinsky who took the cover photo as well as the photo on page four. He's such a stellar photographer, and we're so glad to have him on the team um, at the Sopra Sun team. Yeah, uh, and he got to hang out with us the other day during your interview. He did. It was wonderful to meet him. Yeah. If you're interested in Ultimate Frisbee, okay. Will is the person to speak to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. I remember we wrote a, we had a Ultimate, or not Ultimate Frisbee, that was Frisbee Golf uh, coverage a while back. I remember that article. Oh, yeah. good, man. That makes, that really <laughs> makes me happy. And I want to, so let's get into, let's get into you, um, Jacob, and talk more about you, uh, how you came to the Valley, what made you uh, go, uh, um undergo this project to start Roaring Fork Mill. Again, Roaring Fork Mill is a stone mill operation, um, which is rare these days. We'll get into that because uh, rolling mill is much more common. A rolling Absolutely. mill. Absolutely. But let's start, um, Jacob, with you. Uh, where were you born? Where and um, how did you come to Carbondale? I was born in Yellow Springs, Ohio, small, small town in Ohio, close to Dayton. Um, it's a town that actually reminds me quite a bit of Carbondale. It, it has an artistic base. Um, some would say a, a hippie town okay. in the heart of Ohio. Cool. Um, and there is one other you family. take no offense to that. <laughs> there is one other family from Yellow Springs that just moved to Carbondale, the Erickson family. Um, oh, cool. And I grew up actually close to the Grinnell Mill, which right. is where I first learned about what the old forms of milling used to be. It's a water mill. Um, Folks have likely seen it, may not have put together what exactly it is, but uh, water powered a, a stone mill. Um, and a lot of small towns used to have them. They were very, very common. Right. Um, and I just happened to be by one that wasn't operational anymore, but 
was still intact. Um, so that was my first taste of okay. what a stone mill is. And that was a um, that stone mill. I looked this one up too. It's it um, was a water powered stone correct, mill. Correct. So the river ran through it. It turned a big piece of wood that would catch the water, um, and that wood in turn would would turn the stone mills and grind the flour. Cool. Um, as you can imagine, a very slow process. Um, yeah. But it was how folks on a larger scale would grind flour. Sweet. And something you had uh, just said, and I think that's a real strong theme um, for today's show and in the article and just what you're doing is can, uh, that in the past there always was, uh, or typically there would be a mill in town that the farmers would take their grains to, and that's really uh, been disconnected. Correct. Absolutely. Um, the local grain economy throughout the country was much more robust than it is now. Now we're used to all-purpose flour, white, fluffy flour that you can find in the stores. Mm -hmm. Um, It used to be much more centric to what grain was grown near your community, in your state, um, potentially regional as well, but typically in your state, in your county, in your town even. Um, So a lot of small towns, um, larger towns had their own mill. Um, And Mm -hmm. with with the advent of roller mills and all-purpose flour, we've lost that local grain economy. We've lost the flavor of flour. Uh, the nutritional density of flour. Um, but yes, a lot of towns used to have their own mills. And <clears throat> one other uh, fact, um, I don't know if I'd call it a fun fact, but interesting and impactful fact about Yellow Springs is uh, you had mentioned to me that it was uh, pretty, the area was quite prevalent during the civil rights movement. It was, absolutely. There's a college there named Antioch College. Okay. Um, and it was a bastion uh, of safety, really, during the civil rights movement. Um, Credit Scott King was there. Um, and, and there's a lot, a lot of history around um, Antioch College from the Civil Rights Movement, and it's, it's geared now um, towards the LGBTQ plus very cool field, and that's what Antioch College has become. Cool, and okay, and that's where you you got your taste of the first uh, stone mill, that water mill. Correct. Okay, correct. And, and I didn't realize how much it was influencing me back then. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the name of that mill again, just for our listeners, it's called Grinnell Mill. <clears throat> Wonderful. Okay, and there's so much that didn't quite make it into this article just because you've had such an eventful life. You've gone to a lot of different places, um, and you returned to, to this interest of the stone mill. Um, what, but what initially brought you to Colorado? I originally came to Colorado via the Southwest Conservation Corps. Okay. Um, I did a lot of seasonal work the first few years out of undergrad, um, and I went down to Slida. I worked a season with the Southwest Conservation Corps. It was a wonderful time. It was building and maintaining trails throughout Southwest Colorado. Um, we also had one hitch in the Grand Canyon, which was phenomenal. Wow. Very unexpected, but yeah. phenomenal. Uh, one of the folks on my team was from that area, so we had the opportunity to go over there. Um, it was hard work. It was fun work, and it gave me my first taste of Colorado. Very cool. And uh, from there, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, you uh, were a ski instructor in Breckenridge? I did. I, I moved to Breckenridge. Uh, I did two seasons of ski instructing in Breckenridge. Um, and interspersed in that time at Breckenridge, I also led gap semester trips um, abroad and some summer backpacking trips. Um, and a lot of those gap semester trips were actually geared around sustainable agriculture, um, which mm. kept bringing me back to that initial passion of of sustainable agriculture and where milling and grain and wheat can come into play. Very cool. And so that, and that all came after your first stint in college as an undergrad. That's correct. Okay. I, I studied at center college, smack dab middle of Kentucky. 
Um, I studied environmental studies, mm-hmm. sociology, and anthropology. Great. Um, and during that time, I actually had the chance to go overseas and work with very small-scale indigenous farmers um, throughout Bolivia, Morocco, and Vietnam. Wow. Um, and wow. in Bolivia, I actually had the chance to work with quinoa farmers okay. um, that were working on adaptation and mitigation efforts around climate change. Um, wow. So that was another thing that pulled me towards looking at grain and quinoa. Um, and there's a lot of these, especially when I'm looking back, there's a lot of these little moments in my life that was yeah. pulling me to where I am now that I didn't realize in the moment. Um, but being able to work with those those small-scale farmers was really neat. Very cool. And uh, fast forwarding again yes. <laughs> to after after your undergrad and then back uh, and then your initial stint in Colorado, mm-hmm. uh, finishing up ski instruction and also teaching abroad. Uh, sorry, um, you were po- after that point, you were pulled to Vermont. Is that right? I was. I moved okay, to northern Vermont. Tell me Vermont, about that. Very, very small town, uh, Craftsbury Commons. Um, there's a college there named Sterling College. Very, very fascinating institution. Lovely place to live. Lovely place to study. I was working there. I was not studying, but I wish I would have. <laughs> it was one of those places. Like, why did I not know about this when I was going to college? <laughs> yeah. All of their education is based around sustainable agriculture. Okay. Um, they teach a lot of arts that aren't necessarily uh, known or taught anymore. A lot of draft horse management right. um, and different techniques that are helpful for small farmers to go forth uh, and understand their land. Um, and it's a working college. It's, exactly. It's one okay. of eight work-study colleges in the U.S. There might be seven now. Um, everybody on campus has a job. Okay. Um, helps pay for their, their, their tuition. Um, and most of those jobs might be working in the barn, teaching, the, working with the animals, so on and so forth. So it all is geared around their, their educational um, pursuits. Okay. And, and sorry, one, no, one other fun factor <laughs> of Sterling College. Most students, when they get to campus, get a textbook. Uh-huh. At Sterling College, you get a small hand axe. Okay. You're, you're, taught, <laughs> you're taught how to maintain tools. Okay. Um, and that course of maintaining tools and maintaining outdoor skills with huh. the said tools culminates in a winter camping trip in northern Vermont. Wow. Uh, three nights. Wow. Dead of winter. Oh, my god! All gosh. you get is your and axe hear, and a couple tarps. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and you learn how to how to make your shelters. You learn how to survive in the woods. It's a, it's a neat institution. Very cool. And you hear so much today about how um, <clears throat> young people are getting further and further. And this incoming generations are getting further and further from that type of lifestyle Absolutely. and that kind of work. Yeah. Mm, very cool. Um so, and in that caveat, when you were at uh, Sterling College in Vermont, that's when you kind of had a second or another uh, glimpse into uh, stone milling. Can you tell Correct. us about that? Yeah, thank you. I was introduced to New American Stone Mills, um, who was one of two um, makers of stone mills in the U.S. that I'm aware of. There, there could be some smaller operations I don't know of. Um, but the two New American Stone Mills and Meadows Mills in North Carolina are the two preeminent stone mill makers in the U.S., and I lived roughly 10 or 15 minutes from their facility in Elmore, um, Vermont. They have a great bakery there as well, um, but it's it brought me back to remembering the Grinnell Mill where I grew up. It brought me full circle um, and made me really realize what we had lost in our flower creation um, and what stone milling is. It was the first time I'd really dove into stone milling. Very cool. Did you get to, uh, did you go visit the facility and did you meet the 
the, the is there American the person <laughs> there is and i'm forgetting his name right okay. now <laughs> <That's> okay <laughs> which he's not gonna be happy about that's so right. I'll, I'll call him after this and, and rub it in a little bit <laughs> but you i did uh, write yeah. a letter to the editor <laughs> yeah. next week yeah <laughs> i did i did visit facility cool. um, he showed me where they get their granite as well well wow. um how they put it together he started it from the ground up he saw the benefit of locally milled flour um there wasn't really the ability in northern Vermont to get a stone mill, so he took it upon himself to make one. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And as he made one, when they realized how freaking good their bread was, how tasty yeah. it was, they started distributing it all throughout northeast Vermont. Huh. People started asking, like, how, how is your bread so good? Yeah. And he said, I stone mill fresh the day that I make my bread or the night before. It adds all that nutritional density. It all, adds all that flavor. And that's where the taste comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, so by making his own bread, running his own bakery, um, people realize the power and art of stone milling and what it can do to your goods. Did you kind of have it in your mind at that point then that you might want to do something with I this? I didn't. Okay. No, I can't. I would love to say I did. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've always had the mind where I'm thinking of fun opportunities okay. and, and fun small businesses. It mm-hmm. wasn't um, part of what I was thinking at the time, no. I was fascinated by it as I am with a lot of people's endeavors. Uh, yeah. But no, it's not something that I would think I'd be doing. Okay. And about what year was that? Oh, boy. That was roughly 2018. Okay. Cool. Around then. And then, so I'm probably skipping over something. And you let can me skip know. over as much as Let you me, want. just because <laughs> you are such an active guy. Um, so let me know if there's anything that you want to circle back to. But after that sent in Vermont... Uh, there was, did you come, did you go to grad school or was, I did. I I went to grad school. Grad school. I went to the university of Pennsylvania and I studied, uh, behavioral decision sciences, which virtually looks at why people make the choices they make, how to impact a larger group decision-making, how to impact social norms. Um, it's a combination of cognitive psychology and behavioral economics Mm -hmm. is what it really is. Um, and I took it from a lens of how do you help people make more informed decisions around their consumptive practices? Okay. Um, how do you help people recycle? Um, how do you change those societal norms to help our planet? Really is what it came down to is we have a lot of ingrained tendencies in our culture that are not beneficial for us. Um, so how do you help people make better decisions around how they interact with our environment? And it seems like all of that has kind of contributed to your philosophy and has led you um, to this endeavor uh, for going fork mill. Absolutely. And I know you said, because I know there's other endeavors that and pursuits <laughs> that we want to talk about That's open that are, Pandora's box. Are around sustainability <laughs> and upcycling uh, foods or grains that have already been used. Right. Lots of exciting stuff I want to get to. <laughs> uh, for our listeners, you are tuned in to Everything Under the Sun, the Soper Sun's weekly radio station right here on KDNK. I'm your host, James Steinler, today speaking with Jacob Trumbull, um, owner and operator of Goring Fork Mill, the only stone mill uh, in the valley that we're aware of. <laughs> stone mill distributor, I should yes. say. I do know um, there's a great group of people named uh, that work with the community oven in Carbondale. Right. And they also have a small stone mill. They do. Um, okay. But I believe I'm the only one who's selling flour and distributing to flour. restaurants, bakeries, wholesale retail. Thank you for that correction. I was um, I was careful about that in my writing as well. <laughs> it's like, whenever you say the only, you always are like, oh, yeah, man. And there could be more. I don't know. I would yeah. love for those folks to reach out who have been stone milling or right. highly stone milling. Absolutely. Uh, and for those folks, um, you could always find um, in contact information as well as more information about Going Fork uh, Mills at Going Fork Mills. Dot com. <laughs> awesome. Um, so 
grad school in Philadelphia. Correct. Then you came then back to Colorado. Back. It, was, it was always the goal to come back. <laughs> okay. I've been working seasonal jobs for a long time. Okay. I wanted to come back and do something that wasn't seasonal work. Um, and that's what ultimately brought me back. I came to work for the Rocky Mountain Institute, now known just as RMI. Right. Um, and that's what brought me back full time. Wonderful having the basalt office to work out of. Um, so moved to originally Emma. Um, lived there for a few years and now in, in Missouri Heights, but I've been in the Valley for roughly four years now. Very cool. Um, and uh, what did you do for um, RMI? So RMI as a nonprofit, I was working on the fundraising side. Okay. Um, and RMI grew exponentially while I was there. We were 150 people, I believe, when I joined, and now it's likely over 650 people. Wow. Um, so you grow as fast as you can raise money, and we were doing a wonderful job there. And RMI does great work. If you cool. haven't had a chance to look them up, Look up rmi.org. Yeah. And your life partner is still working Correct. There. Yeah, she she cool. still works at RMI. Very and is cool. doing a fantastic job there. Awesome. What is she doing? She works on the climate psychology team. Wow. Um, and she also does a lot of data, data analysis for RMI. Cool. Yeah. She's leading her own program looking at uh, data and climate psychology. Awesome. Yeah. It sounds like you both are very uh, sustainable-minded and... Um, ecologically minded it's wonderful finding a life partner who, who views this things the same way that you do <laughs> that's absolutely a, that's awesome that's fantastic um okay so and you recently uh so when did this idea about roaring fork mill come about so roaring fork mill did come about while i was working at rmi um i knew that i i eventually wanted to transition into something that was more placed in the Roaring Fork Valley here, um, something where I could go back to working uh, in the sustainable agricultural community, knowing I wasn't going to be a farmer myself. There's people who know how to do that a lot better than I do. Um, but I, I wanted to find something that was impeding small farmers' progress. Mm -hmm. um, and I was speaking to some folks in the valley um, about how a lot more grain used to be grown here, but there mm -hmm. wasn't buyers for it. Um, heritage and ancient grains is what I specialize in, in milling and, and purchasing. Um, and it is more expensive and there wasn't people purchasing it. So folks stopped growing it as you can <laughs> imagine. Yeah. Um, so that, that hit the light bulb and I said, Oh, I actually know a way that you can mill this flower. And that brought me back to Northern Vermont, brought me back to my childhood of being by the mill. Wow, yeah. Um, I actually know a great way that you can mill this to where it keeps in, the brand endosperm, the germ that is often extracted during the roller milling process. So I, I understand how to do this more sustainably where you keep more of the product intact, where it's healthier to eat, tastes better, looks better. Um, and I think I would actually be able to add value to these small farmers who want to be able to grow grain again. Um, so I began asking around first, seeing if I could find some grain. Um, and that's when I found the Colorado grain chain. And the Colorado grain chain started... Uh, two or three years ago now, um, and their goal is to build back the local grain economy in Colorado. So I got in touch cool. with them, asked if there's anybody in the in the valley here doing it, um, and there wasn't. Um, so I saw it as a as an area a gap um, that I could step into. Very cool, and that's the hat that you're wearing now. That is it's also Colorado grown grains. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, and so that also is goes back to. Whereas when, before uh, they started distributing or manufacturing flour on a massive scale, mm -hmm. it was done more locally. Yep. There was the farmer was connected with the uh, with the miller, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but and we had talked a little bit earlier about a rolling mill. Uh, can right. you tell us what a rolling mill is and uh, why they started using it? Yeah, so roller mills are much more efficient. You can you can 
grind a lot more fat flour a lot quicker um, as we grew as a world, as a country, as states and towns. Um, it was much more effective and efficient. Um, however, it was a lot less healthy for you. Mm. Um, and it was also coincided with uh, monoculture, right? A mm. lot of wheat is now grown, has very short roots. Um, it's not great for soil. Um, and those coincided together, right? More, 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 more. We wanted to grow more wheat. We wanted to get it done quicker. Um, but it took away a lot of the value um, and the nutritional components of the flour itself, but also was much worse for our soil. Um, right. So with stone milling, I'm also trying to source heritage and ancient grains that aren't necessarily grown anymore en masse. Um, and those have much deeper root systems. They're much better for the soil and the environment as a whole. And there's a lot of farms in um – or there are some farms in the area, even and over in Paonia, there are. Uh, that are that are interested in using these heritage and, grains. Exactly, and I feel like every every few weeks, every month, every day, I'm finding out somebody new who is hoping to grow more of that, and they're really excited that there's somebody that they could sell it to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but there are some great folks in the valley doing it. Cooper Means, for one, has a great crop of Rouge de Bordeaux that's almost ready. Rouge de Bordeaux, I'm it going, sounds so I'm good. I'm going to his farm tomorrow to look at the crop. I think he's actually going to be on the combine tomorrow. Um, okay. So that should be hitting shelves, and you cannot find fresher local flour than that. Grown right down the street in Old Snowmass. Right. Will be milled in Carbondale, sold in Carbondale, and throughout the valley. Very um, and cool. it's Rouge de Bordeaux is a delicious flower. Can you tell us how many pounds you're expecting? Or oh, that's a great question. Sorry. I think it's <laughs> likely, I think it's lightly in the tons. Oh, and if the I tons. had to guess, oh my goodness, um, he told me I don't quite remember though. Uh, okay, but he said it's a fantastic crop. Is it? Uh, will you be getting their whole crop? Or no, you know no, that? no, no. Okay. Um, no, he he mentioned that some other folks are interested in purchasing some. I I can't handle all of it. <laughs> right. One thing I am looking looking into is um, finding a a facility that can set up some grain granaries um, and a place to store this because a lot of small farmers do want to sell you their whole crop or or a significant portion of it. Um, right. Because one of the hardest things is storing it, cleaning it, storing it. Um, so if I can take on a ton at a time or a whole harvest, that'd be very helpful for the farmers as well. Very cool. So Cooper Means with the Farm Collaborative, you also get uh, source some from uh, the from over sorry near Paonia, uh, and, and including um, grains from the plains. Correct, and they're okay. they're front range. They're front range. Um, yeah, so and my apologies. Grains from the plains. I get millet. There are farms in Paonia, Hotchkiss, um, Palisade, um, Palisade Farms. Okay. Um, is interested in actually planting 100-plus acres next season Very cool. um, of heritage and ancient grains. Um, there's quite a few folks in the Buena Vista Slida area. Buena Vista Slida mm-hmm. area. Um, I'll likely be getting some spelt um, from the Wilbanks, Tyler Wilbanks. I'm forgetting the name of their farm, but Tyler Wilbanks um, has, a, has a new spelt crop that's also ready. Very cool. And you had mentioned it as it's mentioned in the article that stone milling, while it's still relatively rare, it is picking up in popularity uh, much because of there's more flavor, there's more taste, there's yeah. more nutrition. I think I think a big value. part of that as well is we're seeing in, in a resurgence in small bakers in okay. bakeries. Um, and those tend to be the folks who are really interested in what flour can do to their product. Right. If you're if you're a huge restaurant um, if you're a huge distributor, all-purpose flour might make more sense. 
Um, it's more consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, but these local bakers who, who want more of a craft product, craft bread, want rye, they want Durham. Um, those are the folks that are really bringing this back. Fantastic. Uh, we do only have this show goes by quick, my oh, friend. Boy. We have about uh, four minutes. <laughs> um, so I do want to, because you're doing a lot of other really great things around sustainability and food. Uh, can you describe them? four minutes <laughs> i know i know <laughs> no so i so really my one of my big passions is around upcycling food as well okay. right our our food systems are very inefficient mm-hmm. a lot of resources go into products that end up in the trash in the landfill a lot of them are composted here which is fantastic um i am working with some with some uh facilities here on upcycling spent grains mm-hmm. um so i'm working with the aspen Bruco. um i've gotten some spent grains from ball brewing capital creek Beer works um, and working on upcycling those spent grains, um, you dehydrate them and then you can reuse them. Um, I'm doing that in conjunction with Big Bees down in Paonia. Um, in their apple cider pressing process, they have what's called apple pomace, which is all the the peels, a lot of the flesh that doesn't get completely pushed out, um, and most of that goes and gets spread in fields or composted, which is a great use for it. Um, but if we can bring it back into mouths, that's an even better use. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm taking that pomace, turning it into puree, turning it into apple butter combining that with the spent grains, adding in some oats, um, and making bars out of them. Um, and I'm hoping to try to bring that to market soon. Very cool. Um, I'm also, sorry, go ahead. Well, would that be uh, sold separately from going for a mill or same? Likely separate. Okay. Yeah. Likely separate or just one huge umbrella with right. all these ideas. We'll, cool. we'll see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, another item that I'm working on upcycling is coffee grounds. We all love our coffee. Um, most of those coffee grounds are not used as they could be mm-hmm. um one of those areas that they could be used is creating biochar um, and biochar is fantastic for soil um it, it's a it's a uh, carbon sequestration it's great for soil for ter- fertility it soaks in more water so it's really it's really great out here especially um, and could be really great in some of these burn areas um, to, to retain more moisture um, but you can use those coffee grounds to create the biochar um, so that's another endeavor that I'm looking to upcycle food. Um, and then lastly, I'm working down in Paonia in Hotchkiss um, with a few farmers on creating apple cider vinegar out of apple pomace as well. Okay, cool. And apple pomace, again, is kind of, it's an extract that they don't typically right. use. Right. It's, it's all the skins and okay. half of apples that were broken up okay. in the cider pressing process. Um, okay. And right now, just huge trucks come and pick those up and, and drop them at different different spots in Paonia. Um, but if we can bring, turn that back into a product that's eaten, that's a great way to use it. Very cool. And very out of the box thinking that I, I mean that I'm certainly, you know, what I think of. And so it's been, it's been such a pleasure to meet you and get to talk to you and find out about Roaring Fork Mill, but also these other pursuits that you're doing that, um, certainly, uh, are a um, better use than throwing things away, I would say. <laughs> um, so, Anything else you we have about a minute and a half left. Anything else you'd like to add? Oh, that's a fantastic question. If you if <laughs> you know you that's do, my last yeah. question. I always ask. <laughs> if you do have any questions, mm-hmm. um, reach out at any point. Cool. This is all a learning process, right? I've only been milling for about a year. There's some folks here who probably have a lot more knowledge in flour than I do. Um, so if you're interested in talking about anything, reach out um, Jacob at RoaringForkMill.com. I'd love to speak with you. 
Fantastic, Jacob. And can people uh, also place orders uh, for flour through your website? Absolutely. You can go to www.roaringforkmill.com. We like to keep it simple with the name. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Everything is just roaringforkmill.com. It's a, it's, be, it's a hard one to <laughs> and forget. Yes, you can place an good. order online or you can email me um, and ask questions about it. Fantastic. So, folks, again, that e- or that um, website is www.roaringforkmill.com. Get yourself some uh, flour made from grains, all sourced from Colorado. And we mill it fresh per order. Mill it's it as fresh milled, as you can get. Fresh per, for each order. Give Check it out, roaringforkmill.com. Jacob, thanks for joining us today on Everything Under the Sun. Thank you. It was a pleasure.